Welcome back to Beyond the Now, where we envision the path to a better future through the lens of the social entrepreneur. With each episode of Beyond the Now, we share conversations with changemakers, the academics, community leaders, and social entrepreneurs who are looking beyond the now. Today, we have an extremely special episode to share with you, as it was the first recorded interview for Beyond the Now, and it features my co-host, Kayla Hubert. At the time of this recording, Kayla and I had no idea that we would turn this into a podcast. To me, the interview was more of an experiment and a conversation that I would have loved to have with Kayla, regardless if we recorded it or not. Quick disclaimer on the audio, when this was originally recorded, my audio sounded horrible and Kayla sounded a little bit better, so I saved her answers and have now re-recorded my own questions and splice them together to create this interview for your enjoyment. I'm so glad we recorded this interview so that you two can get a glimpse into Kayla's changemaker journey and her fieldwork in Eastern Africa. As you listen, I hope this helps you to reflect on the intertwined nature of your sense of identity, sense of place, and sense of purpose. I think Kayla's perspective helps us remember that our unique human experience will help drive and sustain the kind of impact that we wish to see in the world. So let me introduce you to my co-host and guest, Kayla Hubert. Kayla was born in South Africa the year the divided nation was freed from apartheid. She is truly a visionary woman. Driven by her passion for justice, Kayla is dedicated to seeing her home, the Global South, restored. In this interview, Kayla and I discuss the magnum opus of her academic career thus far, her master's thesis, titled The Narratives That Shape Social Impact, Cross-Cultural Co-Powerment and International Community Development. We'll discuss a few topics, such as Kayla's journey into social justice and community development, a brief history of race relations and foreign aid in the Global South, and social entrepreneurship as a model for free development, along with Kayla's fieldwork and her observations in Kenya. In Kayla's thesis dedication, she thanks a few key people. So I ask her to look back at her childhood and think about what may have motivated or inspired her at the start of her journey. The thing that really set me off was um, my father's passion to see more of the world and to constantly just challenge his own perceptions and his own boundaries. The first time I left my country was when I was 17 and I got on an airplane after my mother turned around twice because she didn't like the fact that I was going and I was 17 um, because I was going to visit my father. Not that she had a problem with that. What she had a problem with was uh, flying to Botswana from South Africa and then getting on a local bus and driving through the entire Botswana to the border where my father would pick me up. Kayla goes on to explain how that story speaks to people's perception of Africa as the dark continent, a place where you can't be kept track of, a place with a lot of uncertainties and risk. But Kayla says she's been to nine African countries and she's never felt safer than when she was in sub-Saharan Africa. Then I asked Kayla to talk about what it was like growing up in South Africa and how it has inspired her passion to see the global South restored. I was born in the same year South Africa became a democracy. And we've only been a democracy for 26 years. My entire life, I mean, three quarters of the history that I've ever been taught in school is the history of apartheid and Mm -hmm. how it happened and what happened and why it happened. And there's a big chunk of South African history that we're just not taught in school. Maybe now, but not while I was there. And I Mm -hmm. think it's good for us to be taught those things so rigorously, but then when you put together 
the political narrative and the social narrative and the fact that you ha still have Afrikaans schools and Afrikaans with the language that was forced on people. Kayla continues to expand on the fact that there are many social constructs in South Africa that still divide people by race. So I asked her about how she experienced the divisive social constructs around race and class as she was growing up. I only had one, one black kid in my entire grade because I was in an Afrikaans school. And so you had to speak Afrikaans to be in the school. But literally, I pro we shared a gate, another school that was an English school. And they had many white kids that only spoke English. They didn't speak any Afrikaans. There were more people of color, more kids of color in that, in that school because they spoke English, right? And, but again, I mean, you're a kid, you're growing up in a small space geographically. In my mind, white people only spoke Afrikaans, and anyone else spoke English or their native tongue. Kayla then goes on to explain how, when she got to university at 18 years old, she met white people who didn't speak any Afrikaans because they came from a different province. So she says her entire world at 18 years old was shattered because of this language divide. This helps provide some context for Kayla's own identity, sense of place, and purpose as she goes to Eastern Africa to study the idea of co-powerment and how it might guide us to meet the challenges of our rapidly changing world. Kayla then offers an example of why co-powerment is a necessary mindset for social entrepreneurs. I was in Kibera, in it's Kenya's largest slum, and I'm sitting there and, and the guy says to me, so what plans do you have for me here, for, mm -hmm. for us here? And wow. You know, and I had never had a conversation with him. I had talked to someone who was on his team. We had just participated with them in this exercise that they had set up for two and a half hours. And I'm not offended by the question. It makes me really sad. I would have loved for him to say, these are the things we want to do. Yep. Can you do these things with us? As Kayla explores the story from the man and the slum in Kabira, she considers that maybe we should be asking, what are they not understanding? And what is the mentality of those who are receiving the aid from NGOs, volunteers, and the like? Throughout her thesis, Kayla discusses co-powerment and this idea of laying down your power. She says, quote, there's no substitute for laying down your own power, honestly. In my thesis, I talk about how the Global North forcefully took power over the Global South. As a result, there is a major difference between the Global North and South when it comes to understanding power. Unquote. And this is where I start to wonder, is it not the responsibility of an NGO to do the work to ask those questions before they offer a solution? Otherwise, you're making false assumptions. That's where co-powerment comes in, is, is understanding that both parties within a social issue, have uh, shortcomings and have power. That is the crux of what I wanted to communicate with my thesis, was that for the Global North to recognize that they have power, that they have taken, and that it has been given to them. Mm -hmm. And they also have the, the beautiful opportunity to give that power away. Then recognizing that there is power within those communities within those people whom we you know recognize these social issues mm -hmm. and saying how can I leverage that power it requires a balanced conversation and a mindset of co-powerment as Kayla mentions between both parties to unpack the narratives that culture and society have piled onto the foreign aid and development approach 
These cultural narratives feed into a history of assumptions made by the global north. I asked Kayla to expand on this term of technocratic behavior, which encapsulates the power imbalance based on the assumptions made by the global north. That term technocratic is really, oh, I'm an expert. I'm here to give you my brilliant idea and my brilliant resources to solve whatever issue I deem, you know, most important. This speaks to the imperialistic and layered history of the global north. It's no secret that the global north, and the United States specifically, is still reconciling its layered history. I reflect on my own experience living in a complex, layered world in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement and the uprisings in response to America's failings to address systemic racism. The death of George Floyd in the protests in response are overdue demands that have forced us all to pause and consider why have we allowed this to occur for so long? And how do we change ourselves and the world? Absolutely. And that's really, I think if we, if we keep asking ourselves that question, we can only become better at approaching these issues um, between races, between cultures, um, developing more respect and more honor for each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because there is opportunity to change. And that, I think, is, is that's the whole point of being, if you, know, if you consider yourself a change maker, is, that's the whole point, is, oh, I, I am in a position to influence. I'm in a position to influence change, people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And maintaining the hope that you as a person will change. Exactly. And change makers embody that growth mindset coupled with empathy and a desire to see deep systemic change. I think we're waking up to that truth that everyone can be a change maker, and perhaps everyone must be a change maker if we want to see justice in our world. Let's shift the conversation back to co-powerment and social entrepreneurship while throwing in this new term of human-centered design. What is human-centered design, and how does it allow social entrepreneurs to empower the communities that they work with? If we put the person, or in our case, the community in the center, mm-hmm. and we start designing with, the, with our accumulated knowledge of not the problem, but the people, yeah. how will our strategies be different? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's where I'm thinking that social entrepreneurship will flourish and do its absolute best, mm-hmm. uh, because that is the heart of of a social enterprise is keeping the mission at the center, not the profit, but the, 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 the mission. And if we keep it on a human centered design, uh, you know, and we're not going to solve a waste problem, right? Where we're keeping the community in the design. Human centered design plays a large role in the observations that Kayla makes throughout her field work. So I ask her now about one of her case studies in Kenya with a company called Contegra. So Contegra is, the name exists out of the word Kenya and integrity. Contegra is a biotech company that has started uh, in Kenya, in Nairobi. They are producing pyrethrum. Pyrethrum is an organic pesticide that used to be Kenya's uh, largest export in the late 60s. They had a very efficient president after they became uh, independent. And the president who took over from him was extremely corrupt. Um, Like, sad, 
sad corruption, not, you know, past the point of anger. Um, He effectively pushed out all the expats um, and took over the, monopolized the entire pyrethrum economy. As a result of the corruption, Kayla explains that eventually the farmers weren't getting paid. So the people lost trust in pyrethrum and they ripped out all of their plants and instead planted maize because growing pyrethrum was bankrupting them. And it was no surprise that the entire industry collapsed. So now Contegra is almost single-handedly reviving the pyrethrum industry by paying the farmers 200 Kenyan shillings per kilogram. Kayla says this is unprecedented. Contegra is doing more than reviving an industry and paying their farmers fairly. Kayla observed the essential component of cross-cultural collaboration, which is extremely important within this context of the global north and south working together. They've said, we are not going to think that we understand (laughs) what these farmers need. No, we are going to employ those who have been educated and those who have, you know, who have roots in the community, and they're going to take care of the farmers. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. I, I was surprised again and again and again because these uh, relationship officers would just know each farmer by name and know, you know the, how hard they're working on their fields or if they're not working on their fields. And it, and it becomes really becomes this relationship um, uh, that they've built with each other. Kayla's master's thesis ties in more case studies and concepts integral to this idea of co-powerment and cross-cultural collaboration. But I wanted to ask Kayla one more question about her own identity as a cross-cultural citizen and how that experience may have had a profound impact on her work. To close out, I'll have Kayla read the last section of her thesis which is a personal reflection on her identity as a Caucasian South African citizen and a changemaker. I've lived both these roles. I am the distressed African citizen, subject to corrupt and dysfunctional government, slow economic growth rates and global discourse on the general fragility and lack in the continent. And I'm the white privileged antagonist. I was born in the same year South Africa was freed from apartheid. My parents, with only high school diplomas, were able to start a business and send me to a good public schools providing for my needs, while two-thirds of the nation still lies in ruins. While South Africans, like those in the colonizing nations, are associated with assumed power, privilege, and expertise, painting them the villain of South Africa's current situation, and the global north the villain of the global south's progress. Deeper into development discourse, I recognize that I have not been freed from the global narrative describing the oppressor and the oppressed. My Caucasian appearance had identified me as a villain, however much the term rainbow nation was used, referring to the equal values of the different races represented in my nation. Similarly, I have found the social impact actors who eagerly pursue programs in Africa are influenced by development experts who have historically written what the world believes those with power do for those without. My fieldwork in East Africa has led me to also have compassion for those with whom I share appearances, but who have had little or no development training or experience. I found I could relate to both the experiences of given power, the Global North, while I participated alongside East Africans in scenarios led by well-intentioned but uninformed Westerners. 
I've shared, to some degree, the East Africans' same feelings and frustrations. These experiences, finding myself between who I am, who I relate to, and who I am treated as, has made me recognize the potential capabilities that lie within the cultural norms of both the global North and South, especially when they seek to collaborate on social impact ventures in communities. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this conversation and reflection between Kayla and I. We're so glad to be on the other end of this conversation six months later with you launching Beyond the Now. It's truly a gift to be able to have these conversations with our changemaker guests and we look forward to sharing more of them with you. With this podcast, we aim to encourage changemakers who are ready to take action on their visions and solutions for a more empathetic, diverse, and sustainable world. So if you know someone who thinks beyond the now and is looking to build a life dedicated to social change, please share this episode with them. We would love to know what you thought of this episode. You can do so by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts with your feedback. And if you're interested in learning more about Kayla's thesis or just learning more about her work, you can email us at hello at beyondthenowpod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of Beyond the Now.